Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to another TV Central One on One podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. This is episode 51, 2023. Bay of Fires is a new dark comedy drama thriller coming to ABC on Sunday, 16 July 2023. The synopsis reads Betrayed and in immediate danger, Stella is forced to move her family to the last place on earth anyone would expect. Mystery Bay isn't the kind of place they put on postcards. The locals hide secrets and outsiders are viewed with suspicion, bordering on the murderous. The cast is led by Marta Dusseldorf, an outstanding Australian actress known for her work in film, television and theatre. Marta has established herself as a versatile and highly regarded actress, receiving critical acclaim for her performances. Her work started with the theatre, with nominations and awards for performances in work, including Macbeth and Proof. Uh, Marta has most notably appeared as the lead in Janet King. She played the role of Sarah Adams in the Adored series um, and one of my favourites, A Place to Call Home. Outside of acting, she has served as an ambassador for charitable organisations. She's known for her advocacy and work in promoting women's equality. She's been actively involved in campaigns and initiatives aimed at addressing gender inequality and raising awareness about women's rights issues. This is also about equal representation of women in the entertainment industry and has adv- advocated for better opportunities and roles for female actors. But has highlighted the importance of diverse and authentic female voices in storytelling. Very privileged to be joined now by Marta Dusseldorf here at TV Central. Marta, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Aaron. Lovely to be here. I certainly want to get to to Bay of Fires, but I wanted to ask about your advocacy um, with women equality in the entertainment industry. We have some strong actresses in Australia, including one of your previous co-stars, Noni Hazelhurst, and also the likes of uh, Claudia Carvin, Rose Byrne, Tony Collette, Deborah Malman, Sarah Snook, Georgie Parker, Rebecca Gibney, Jackie Weaver, Lisa Bakun, to name a few. Have we we come a long way in terms of opportunity and equality, or do we still have a long way to go? Well, I think we are certainly taking the reins into our own hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I've am i been incredibly inspired by all of the women that you mention and watched them through my career and occasionally have the privilege of working with them. So I take those times to really sit and have a chat. What do we think needs to happen next and so on? There's a name that's been left off that list, uh, Kate Blanchett, of course, who oh, is yeah. an incredible mentor and someone who I just see taking the narrative into her own hands and really on the world stage, um, doing us Aussies proud. So, yeah, I think um, especially when you create and produce um, your own work, you really get a sense of of what the possibilities are. So this uh, recent experience of Bay of Fires, where I got to sit at the table the whole way through, um, has has shown me that anything is possible and you can show complex uh, women on screen who are 50 uh, and hopefully they're still really entertaining and engaging. I mentioned your advocacy work. What does that mean in the practical sense? What are you actively involved in within that space? Yeah, I'm not quite sure where that label came from. I've just always lived my life authentically and as a woman. So I speak up, I suppose. Um, I fight more for Australian stories. That's really my my thing um, because, you know, we have much lower budgets, much lower audience numbers. And so we're in the English speaking world as well. So we can get consumed by the American and British content. Um, So yeah, gender equality goes without saying for me um, because I am 
that other side and any opportunity I get, I always speak from the heart in that way. So I don't have an active thing that I do or don't do. I just live it all the time. About um, equality, when looking at the gold logie in Australia, I mean, I'm just using that as as one form, nine out of the last 12 wins have been men. Uh, why do you think the spotlight and recognition continues to focus on men? Well, I have to say some of those guys are extraordinarily talented, so I wouldn't like to sort of take it away from from those individuals who, who win the gold logie. Some of them, you know, uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not quite sure but I think the nominations this year are, are really fabulous. Lee yeah. Sayers is up there. Uh Julia Morris if I'm right. Um yep. who else? Do you have the list there? I don't I was oh. there when they read it out and I thought, "Oh, that's fun." Um so I think, you know, uh, awards are getting there, I guess. I mean, I've always been in the female category, so there's always been a plethora of amazing women who are far more deserving than me. And I've never won a Logie. I think I've been nominated nine times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping this year's my year, Aaron. Uh, no, I don't think so because Kate Mulvaney's up and she was just spectacular in the 12. Um, but I think, you know, it's really important that we continue to get behind female-led projects and watch them and engage in them and and see what women want to say about about women, um, I suppose. Mm. I take also inspiration from Reese Witherspoon and Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Michaela Cole. Um, if listeners haven't seen their work, it's it's definitely worth getting on on those as well because they are very strong, very clear, uh, yeah, strides towards equality and female storytelling. Well, actually, I did want to ask you that: who inspires you within the equality movement, um, and who's doing well? So, I guess I guess those names, and and maybe and family as well, or anyone else that that inspires you. Always. My mum, my grandmother were both full-time workers. I remember when my my grandfather was taken as a prisoner of war and my grandmother was shoved into the working spotlight, having been told it really wasn't um, something for her. So she ended up working in the hospitals while all the men were off fighting. And when her husband came back, I think he was 35 kilograms or something, and he'd been marched across uh, Indonesia by the Japanese. Wow back in those days. Um, and then she, you know, really was a stand up for me as I grew up, you know, she was very active in, in community, but also at home, I watched the balance. And then my mum was a full-time worker. She's retired now. So, you know, I, I was often uh, alone at school waiting for her to turn up because she had meetings and so on. And so again, the priority was always about balance. So so as I've been a mom, I've really uh, felt that working wasn't a bad thing and not taken any shame um, from that. Sometimes a bit of guilt, of course, as you do as a mum, but mm. I think that's just normal. In terms of change, I mean, uh, change certainly has to occur within the industry, but as consumers of content, is there anything organisations outside the industry and indeed the general viewing public can do to support the advocacy for, for strong female opportunities within the entertainment industry? I think it's just turning up. Like I, I mean, if people, 
tune in to Bay of Fires, we get to make another one. Yeah. So it's it's quite a simple equation, you know, turn your TV on, stream it on your computer at the same time and your iPhone uh, or your Samsung, <laughs> whatever you use, or your blah, blah, blah. Um, it's just turning up, you know, and supporting and and like I say, tapping in, see what see what people have to say of all different backgrounds. Um, you know, there's a a massive movement around full diversity across all sorts of, um, you know, all of it. So it's time, and yeah, the the way to get to know it is to to tune in. So that's yeah. the biggest thing. Well, let's talk about Bay of Fires um, on ABC. For the people that have no idea what it's about, can you explain the, the general storyline for the series? Well, you did. You read it out. It was marvellous. Um, a woman who's thrown into an unlikely situation and slowly realises it's much worse than the things she's running from. She's got two kids in tow and a life she's left behind. So... I live in the extraordinary um, in Lutruwita, Tasmania, and I was here during the pandemic and the borders were closed. So I had a chat with Mr. Andrew Knight, who created the original Sea Change, wrote on Jack Irish for nine years and was a creator of that. And also I did After the Deluge with him. He also wrote on Rake, obviously, Haxel Ridge, Water Diviner and so on. So I said to him, I think I'm living in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I think a series set here, especially on the West coast of Tassie that not a lot of people know about could be really exciting. So we wrote for a year and a half um, and created with uh, Max Dan, who he wrote Spotswood with, which is a great Australian mm. film. I haven't seen it. And uh, we shot it within a year and a half of the first idea. So it's, um, it's a, as you said, crime, thriller, comedy. And the way we talk about it is it's like Ozark meets Fargo meets Schitt's Creek. So it's <laughs> a new tone uh, for Australian TV, we hope. And we really tried to engage with what it is to be in a small community and what are the pluses and the minuses. And uh, who do you become if you're taken out of your comfort zone who you should have been or someone else entirely yeah I was going to ask how you would I mean you mentioned a bit there but how you describe the tone of the show because I was thinking dark comedic slightly absurd maybe a thriller surprising unexpected or is it all of the above (laughs) I hope so I think I mean you've seen it three eps Aaron what do you think oh look it's it's so different um it's just not I and I think the plot you think that it's going in in one way and you think, okay, at least I know that I can trust these one or two characters. But then after three episodes, I'm not sure that I could trust those two either. (laughs) It's going in all different directions. Right. Well, that was our intention was to keep it really engaging and uh, hopefully you fall a little bit in love with certain characters. And I think that'll be different for everyone. We've got this incredible ensemble cast that uh, are old mates of mine from the theatre, from film and television. And when we sent out the scripts and made the offers, the actors came back within a couple of days and just said, yes, please, I'd love to jump on board. This is this is so exciting. And then they brought so much more than what we could have hoped. So it feels really whole and full. And that was the experience I wanted to give the audience over winter. 
when they're sitting at home Sunday nights at 8.30. Well, in terms of that cast, I mean, what an ensemble. Um, Some names, Stephen Curry, Pamela Ray, uh, Bob Franklin, Nicholas Bell, Ros Hammond, Matt Nabel. Um, I'm guessing it was uh, it was an extra bit delicious for, for the team to be in a series where they are playing such, I'm not sure if this is the right word, but kooky characters, um, if that's the right word. Is, is it fun playing, you know, characters that are just completely outside of yourself? I think so. And the challenge, you know, certainly for any actor is to be outside of themselves and find another tool they haven't used in their toolbox or indeed invent something completely else. I mean, these people are stalwart theatre uh, theater actors. So they're not afraid to step outside their comfort zone. Uh, we also had Rachel House, who I actually, um, with Andrew and Max, wrote the role for. So I think she's such a stunning actress. For those who haven't seen her work, you should check her out. Um, and also Yale Stone joined us, as you would have seen, without giving anything away, um, <laughs> who is a dear friend of mine. Uh, so she hopped in as well. So I've worked with Pamela Rabe for probably about 30 years now. We did Paradise Road back when I was 19 um, and that's where I first met her. And then we did the Actors Company together with the Sydney Theatre Company and I've shared a dressing room with her for a long time. So it was just beautiful to see her embody Magda in that way. Uh, Roz Hammond, also so delicious, and the beautiful Matt Nabel, who I'd just done the 12 with, actually, and I was sitting on set and I thought, hmm, he'd be a marvellous Thaddeus. So I invited him. Um, yeah, and then we've got some some new faces, which I'm particularly excited about. Imi Medella, who plays my son, Otis, and Ava Carafolitis, who plays Iris. Um, so they're my my kids, and I just loved playing with them as well. I actually was just going to say special mention to your two children in the series, um, Otis and Iris. Um, Ava, uh, who plays Iris, is, is way beyond her years, isn't she? Um, should, should we be expecting another strong female lead in the future? I think so. I think if there was ever a next one to watch, it's this gorgeous uh, being. She just I remember the first audition she put down for Iris and they just get sent to you. It's quite a cold experience for the actor, I imagine, where they just put this tape down, sent off into the ether. Of course, I, I know how that feels. Um, and we were watching you through everyone and and she just, there she was, Iris. It was it was undeniable. She just came out of the screen. And the same with Immy when he turned up and I just went, look at his beautiful smile. And so we all met each other in a room uh, to see if we all got on and and that was it. They were in. So um, I think, you know, being my, the two characters are actually based on my children uh, in many ways. And uh, so, yeah, it was lovely to see their take on my kids who I <laughs> inserted into those two roles. I, I gather there'll be twists and turns throughout the series because I think, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm getting suspicious of one or, one or two of the characters that appear to be the most trustworthy um, and are advocates for Stella. Perhaps is everything not all, all that it seems in this show, even when you think that it, that it is? Yes, we've got a, we've got a, um, yeah. I think for me, the best shows are ones where I, I don't, I think I know. And I go, oh, I know what this is. And then I go, okay, I really don't know what this is. So 
there is um there's a big reveal in ep five um and we hope Ooh. that we keep the audience until then that certainly was the plan um to fully understand what she's dropped into uh yeah, yeah. can can you reveal uh whether the audience will get all of the answers by the end of eight episodes can we expect a nightly uh neatly tied bow or is there going to be some ponderings and reflection and some open-endedness with the show I get quite frustrated, Aaron, when when a show doesn't give me an ending. I don't know about you. Um, you know, uh, I I like to to finish something and then decide to start again if I if I feel like it. So mm-hmm. we've satisfied that itch because I think um, you know as much as we have we we have plans in our mind. If we were lucky enough to be able to have another stab at it. Um, I do want the audience to sit there satisfied, but the ponderings, yes, I would like to believe that we leave that question, which I spoke about earlier, who do you become when you are put outside of your comfort zone? Well, the the show comes from um, Archipelago and Fremantle. Um, You're the director of Archipelago. Um, So so tell me about the the hands-on role you have with the series beyond the lead acting role. Yeah, so as I said earlier, I created it with Andrew and Max. So we were very hands held from the very beginning. We pitched it into the ABC, just the three of us. And executive producer Greg Sitch was already on board then because he was mentoring me to produce it. He kept saying to me, Mart, you should produce this, understand what it all means and uh, build your business. So I had my creative hat and then I started building a business hat. And so I was with him. We got it, uh, pitched it into the ABC, who picked it up straight away actually and started developing it, which was really exciting. So we had enough time to really talk about the scripts and dive in and do rooms and get consultants. And I think we would have spoken to easily about 20 people, different writers and people who work in the field of where she ends up and yeah, just talking about, well, Russians. <laughs> um, then we had a consultant for our Russian characters and our Chechen characters. And uh, and then once we understood the ABC were really keen, we then financed it. Um, so you have meetings with all of the amazing people at Screen Australia, Vic Screen, Screen Tasmania really got behind us, the Tasmanian government. And we filled up the finance plan, which is something I've learned all about. Uh, then we got an international distributor on board with Fremantle International. And that's when Fremantle Australia came on board to produce it with me so that I could learn and grow. And they did such an incredible job just making sure I could sleep at night so that I could perform <laughs> at the third wave of COVID hit us and, you know, the budget was going, we had to pick up a Saturday and all those fun things. Um, So it really was a group effort and being a producer means you get to sit at the table with these incredible heads of department. So we pulled together cinematographer Marty McGrath, Joe Ford, production designer, Lisa Marr, costume, Fiona Rees-Jones, makeup and hair design and I had Yvonne Collins produce alongside me as well. So it was certainly one huge, big team community. Um, And shooting on the West Coast was very remote. We were 16 weeks out on on the edge of nowhere. Um, And I hope the series benefits from that because it really was one of those amazing places to 
live and breathe in. Uh, yeah, a real privilege. We got to see a little bit of uh, more of Tasmania, the beautiful things in the, the Alone Australia series that was uh, that was out. That was so, so beautiful. Um, Archipelago Productions, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, goes beyond just making productions such as Bay of Fires. Um, you're also involved in initiatives like Fresh Ink. Um, tell me more about Archipelago. So we started Archipelago Productions uh, just before the pandemic and then to do theatre down here in in Hobart and then we were shut down quite quickly uh, like everyone else so we pivoted and uh, we made some experimental films we made lots of theatre productions for Tasmanians and then slowly as the borders opened and closed we captured some other people so we did The Bleeding Tree, The Maids, Vinterizer, uh, Mask of the Red Death, Past the Shallows, and recently Women of Troy and Envirotine. So we've been very, very busy putting shows on stage um, and then developing this as our first sort of major television production. And that's with my husband, Ben Winspear, so just the two of us. Um, and now with this show coming out on the 16th of July, we're going to concentrate on the screen more. We've got some features in development and another two television series with other companies. And as you mentioned earlier, so we really push for equity and we push for diversity. And we also ask, I'd love to get to a 50-50 parody of women on cruise, which are particularly uh, lacking. So that's about upskilling mainly Tasmanians for us. Um, so I'm busy sort of chatting to people and meeting people and finding the right energy and people who really want to be in the business down here. So what I'm hoping is we have back-to-back -back productions, not just of of ours, but other there are other producers working down here at the moment. It's such a beautiful place to shoot. And I think, uh, yeah, having a production company means that we can we can go for grants. Uh, that's really helpful. And then, you know, create employment, which is which is really exciting and build our own ideas and unique IP. It would be difficult to uh, miss talking about a place to call home. Um, it was axed by Seven and then later picked up by Foxtel. The main question I just wanted to ask is um, how much love did you feel at the time uh, with the amount of support the show received after Seven's axing, which led to an absolute outpouring of shock, uh, love, and then support for the show, um, which just couldn't be ignored by Foxtel and they picked you up. Did you did you really feel the love? Yeah, it was pretty beautiful having all the picnics, I remember, and then when it got back up, more picnics, lots of cupcakes. Uh, Foxtel are amazing at, at delivering cupcakes. I have to really put it uh, at the feet of Brian Walsh. He uh, was the head of... Uh, drama at Foxtel mm. and recently sadly very sadly suddenly passed away so uh, Brian listened to the fans and he respected the audience and he brought the show back and really without Brian Walsh we wouldn't have six seasons of A Place to Call Home and I know how proud he was of that show and how much it meant to him that he could continue it alongside Bevan Lee and all the amazing actors for that long. And, uh, yeah, so 
it's a sad loss for all of us. And I think uh, so audiences need to continue to be as loud for what they want and need so that we can get new advocates in, in that space of commissioning. We're certainly uh, in in the era of reboots. In some cases, they work out perfectly. In other cases, uh, perhaps the legacy should have been left with the original show. Um, with that in mind, is there any roles like Sarah Adams or Janet King that you would like to revisit at some stage? There is one I'm talking uh, to someone about right now, actually. Um, yeah, and it's a reboot. Um and it's pretty exciting. The first two scripts just came in and I think they're really fabulous. And I think revisiting a character so, so many, many years later um, without giving too much away really gives an opportunity of showing how far we've come. Yeah. Women and with our power and who we are and what we now don't put up with or, or yeah, um, so I hope to announce that soon and uh, it'll be fascinating to see how that's received. All right. Now, just for the next question, do you mind me sharing your, your age for the next question? Oh, I love being 50. <laughs> yeah, you turned the big 50 this year, wasn't it? Yeah, I turned 50 in February. Yeah. Um, look, you're certainly at the top of your game with no apparent plans to slow down. Do you, do you consider yourself a mentor to, to young people coming through, like being brave and strong, beautiful, passionate and driven and, and sort of breaking down the barriers of stereotypes within the industry? No, I don't know. You can say that about yourself. You know, really, that's up for people to decide. But I do take the role of mentoring very seriously. Mm. Uh, I remember when I first met Zoe Tarakis and we were doing Janet King back in the day and I was explaining to them about the industry and what it takes and don't take no for an answer and call me anytime and we're still speaking with each other. So I think that's really fabulous and how far they've come and all of their beauty and wonder and talent. And alongside uh, with the archipelago, we've found a couple of women down here, Tasmanian women, who are really strong and fabulous. So I'm mentoring them as well. And that's as much about making sure they can get to the people that they need to get to to speak um, around whatever they might need. So connection is a really part, big part of mentoring as well as turning up. I'm, I'm, I'm part of a mentor scheme down here that Artology are running. And uh, I just had my first mentoring session, which was basically us just sitting there and gas bagging. And um, yeah, I, I think mentoring is about listening. What does someone need? Everyone's individual needs are so different. Um, and also when I do a play or indeed television, I'm available and there for whatever people need. So, yeah, I think as long as everyone comes to the table to talk about stuff and and when things come up, I think it's really important to be inclusive, even of the people that you think might not understand you. And that way people learn and grow uh, quicker and together. Just that theme of uh, 
the over fifties thing, um, there wasn't always strong roles for over fifties, but but with the public broadcasters and streaming platforms not necessarily focused on advertising and certain demographics, are you encouraged by some of the work that is getting out there? Like, for example, one of my favourite series, The End, uh, with Noni Hazelhurst, uh, just yeah. embracing being a woman within the retirement village, and Heather Mitchell and Hugo Weaving showing there's actually passion and sex for the over fifties and sixties in Love Me. Are you encouraged by some of these productions? Definitely. And I think, you know, I was in Paul Cox's Innocence, which was about Bud Tingwall and, um, oh, my goodness, I'm having a blank with her name, most extraordinary actress. Anyway, it was a long time ago now. But that was about them meeting on a railway platform. They were both in their 60s, or he was in his 70s, she was in her 60s, and, you know, they make love in the movie. It's so Mm. beautiful. Um, I think Gina Davis has shown statistics that prove that having older women in the lead creates big box office. So there is a drive for audiences to see that sort of thing. And I, I am very encouraged. I did notice my roles drying up though, if I were to be completely honest and part of me was driven to create my own piece because of that. I thought, oh, this could get really lean and really quickly. Um, and because I never went to America uh, to work there, I thought, oh, that's even more dangerous because people don't see you necessarily as box office hit material. So the two things did motivate me. Look, you have two uh, beautiful daughters, Grace and Maggie. I'm I'm picturing two girls that are bold, full of opportunity and passion. Um, have your own passions of equality and, and being a, a unique, strong woman filtered down to your daughters? Oh, they teach me. <laughs> <laughs> they know everything. <laughs> Sometimes they're like, oh, mum, it's not like that anymore, you know. Uh, no, no, you don't have to, mum, you know. No, no, the women are the young women of today are well-versed and there is much language now to to help them walk a very steady line. So it's quite the opposite. They inspire me to be strong and bold and fearless every day. And, and have they taken the creative gene from their parents? Well, they have actually. Grace is an incredible writer. Uh, she often gets published, her poetry and short oh. stories. Um, she's written a play and she directed it at school and Maggie is really artistic. So she makes these amazing objects and jewelry. Um, and both of them have been extras on a, well, they started on a place to call home, actually. They're in a couple of those seasons in the background. And also they used to help Lisa Ma, who is a costume designer of that as well, hand out jewelry and just generally be a hand because I said you're not allowed to be on set if you're in the way, so you've got to help. Um, <laughs> so I had them up on the West Coast and Grace has read all of the scripts. She gives me notes on the young characters and says, no, 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 that's not what they would say and she would be feeling this now. And oh, wow. That's... So it's it's quite quite a resource as well. I keep them busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finally, um, just back to back uh, Bay of Fires, 
Well, I'm just interested to know what made you go outside the box because there is safer mainstream choices that um that have a stronger chance of success. A dark comedy thriller like Bay of Fires is certainly a risk, particularly in the 8.30 slot on Sundays for the ABC. Is the creativity within the art more important than just mass appeal? Or do you think a show like this could have mass appeal? Well, we want it to have mass appeal. I mean, yeah. my favourite shows are Severance. Fargo, um, you know, those sort of slightly odd. I just wrote, re- uh, watched Class of 07 with the girls on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love shows that challenge me and entertain me. And I have to say, Andrew Knight has been writing television for well over, you know, 50 years. Mm. And uh, he very rarely gets it wrong. So uh, I really felt very lucky to be in his presence and Max Dan and building this, this, this very complex, I think deeply engaging show. So mm. I hope for the audience that they see that it's uh, it's something to to really feed on and and enjoy. That was certainly the intention. Yeah, well, look, it's certainly not Janet King or Place to Call Home, but for, for fans of good storytelling and creativity and twisty plots, um, three episodes in for me, it's a great show, um, and I wish you all the, all the success. Um, thank you also for being a strong advocate, mentor, and inspiration for all those that want to pursue a, a future in the arts, um, and particularly women um, who are inspired um, by everything you do, and being a director of a company as well is, is the business end and, and the mentoring and all that. That's awesome. And thank you for joining me at TV Central, Marta. Thank you so much. That was delightful. All right. That was um, Marta Dusseldorp, lead actor on the new ABC series, Bay of Fires, which can be seen on ABC and iView from Sunday, 16 of July. That's it for this podcast. For all the latest news, streaming options, television guides, ratings and podcasts, head to TV Central at tvcentral.com.au. But for now, I'm Aaron Ryan, and thank you to Marta Dusseldorp. Bye for now. Listener.